This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. This is Kerry Earnhardt, and you're listening to Earnhardt Outdoors, where the pavement ends and the dirt road begins. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Earnhardt Outdoors. I'm your host, Kerry Earnhardt, coming to you from the Azalta Studio. And joining me is an avid outdoorsman and former racer like myself, my brother-in-law, L.W. Miller. How about that? Yep, here we are Here we are again. again. Here we are again, Kerry. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun doing this and, you know, sharing with all the people out there all the the passion we have for the outdoors and and i'm just glad to be here with you yes yeah, a lot of neat stories but you know i want to talk about what goes into preparation with the land tree stands everything you do for hunting yeah. you know we've done a lot of that's stuff a, that's a, a never I mean, ending subject the time, there, right? i know but, <laughs> i mean we've done a lot of stuff together um, you know we went to your farm in pennsylvania and uh planted a lot of food plots and uh had a lot of fun doing that and I beat on you all the time, I know, but I always, every year we do this, it's a group of us, it's me, you, Seth, Tanner, a bunch of us going up there and doing this, and I always take a jab at you that he always dictates everyone to do something, and he always has to go off on a phone call or meeting or run into <laughs> town or something. It's like, we're up there working and doing all this stuff, and you're well on the phone. One of these, so you're right, we love that trip, we all Every year we take the first week of October and we go to Pennsylvania, all of us together to, uh, to, I, I trick all you guys into coming by telling you we're going up there for the first yeah. week of archery season, yeah. which we do, uh, w- which is an, is an important part of taking care of the land is, is the doe harvest that we do that week. We go up there primarily to hunt doe, uh, first week of archery and thin the doe herd out a little bit just to make the, the population better. And we can get into that a little bit later, the importance of that, but the the thing you guys always one of these times you're going to hit on it every year there's about four or five of us up there i have a list of work that needs to be done a big list and you all know that if if you notice every wednesday i make sure that that's the one that you know the longest property line that needs posted or the most trees that need yes, cut down whatever the hardest part of work is you some days you guys will come smart and realize that's on wednesdays i figured wednesdays. that and also ironically our managers meetings here at junior motorsports are on on wednesdays so as director of motorsports, my obligation is to be on the conference call for the manager's meeting. But so not all day. I, I mean, the whole day. Hey, we have a lot to talk about. Man. <laughs> but it's fun. I mean, we, we, no, we laugh yeah, about it. We enjoy it and know it's going to happen, but we still do it. I mean, it's just neat to get together with the guys and, and, and know that all the work you're putting into what we do up there is preparing for the upcoming season. Yeah, I know, and that's it. I mean, that's the truth of it. I mean, I think that – I, I think we all, honestly, everyone that goes up there, and, and there's, you know, Uncle Robert who's, you know, 60 years old, and and young Tanner who's just 21 years old. So we have the gamut of guys up there for that that hunt when we get together, family, friends, yeah. And uh, I, I really think that every one of us looks at that hunt as probably one of the most fun weeks of the year for hunting. I mean, if you told me that I had to give up that Pennsylvania doe doe harvest week work week to to go hunt a Boone and Crockett buck and wherever canada wherever it may be i wouldn't want to give that week of that doe that doe hunt up that's it's so much fun uh there's no pressure you're just out there shooting doe having a good having time. a good time everybody's successful because our, of our overpopulation situation right. of doe in in that part of the country um and then we throw in you know obviously we throw in the fall work that needs done which includes you know post reposting the property uh you know cutting down trees cleaning trails whatever needs done around the farm 
uh, we do that week, which I think that we also, I mean, we're all excited about going hunting when we get up in the morning or go out in the evening to go hunting. But on the same token, we have more fun just out there, you know, cutting up, putting up a tree stand yeah. or, or working on, you know, you know, moving trees or cutting brush, whatever we're doing. We have just as much fun cutting up during the daytime doing that as we do the actual hunts. So, and we you do. know, I mean, I mean, it, we, we, we joke about that, but in, in reality, I mean, I, and I know, you know, not just you, but the other guys included, I mean, every one of them. And I think it's pretty cool that you got somebody from, from 21 years of age up to 60 years of age, all kits together and it has one common thing. And that's the love of being a steward of the land. I mean, uh, I'm fortunate because it's, you know, part of my family property. So, you know, that's the important part to me, but the other guys are there because they're going to hunt there. Maybe they're not even going to come back and hunt there, but just to know that you're doing something, you're putting back into the environment, making, making the land better, you know, making food plots that are going to feed not just deer, but turkeys, pheasants, grouse, whatever happens to be the wildlife in that area. I, I think that, you know, that's one of the cool things. And I think that that probably wasn't the case 25 years ago. You know, we talk about the difference in, in outdoor media and what's, how it's changed the industry. And that's one of the things that, it, I mean, you know, 25 years ago, nobody even knew what a food no, plot was. They, I mean, no. uh, they would just, you know, nobody knew what food plots were. I mean, people did it, but nobody knew about it. Right. Uh, and and now, nowadays, nowadays I mean. you know, the outdoor media industry, you know, really, you know, sets the mark of, of being good stewards to the land. Right. And that's the one thing that people, you know, can't take away from us is that, yeah, you know, we kill animals and, and we eat what we kill and we enjoy it. We love the hunting. But on the same token, we are, uh, we're the best conservationists there are in the country, uh, uh, hunters. Yeah, you because know? I mean, I mean, we're, we're putting back and we all want to do more for the land than what we take out of it. So, you know, it's a pretty awesome thing to be a part of. It is. And, you know, you know, people talk about cutting trees down and stuff like that, but, you know, it happens. And that's part of, you know, getting things ready for hunting and stuff like that, but at least we're not bulldozing them all down and building yeah, development. Yeah, we're not, not we're not cutting trees down to build uh, a, a shopping mall for sure. Right, <laughs> so, right. I mean, and that's, you know, I've I, I've battled that, you know, with our family property. I, obviously, our family property in Pennsylvania has been a part of my family for since the 1950s. And my grandfather, who was alive when it all started and, and kind of started it, had a, a lot different outtake on how you were supposed to, I mean, he was a, a wonderful steward of the land, but uh, he was of the old school mentality where you don't, you don't, if you, you don't cut a right. tree down, I mean, if you ran, if you were out there doing something on your go-kart or whatever it may be, and you ran over a, a two inch maple sapling, he would probably take that sapling and beat your butt with it. <laughs> I mean, that's just the mentality of how it was. And as things progressed and we've all learned more about managing properties and what, what's best for the wildlife and even for the trees themselves. I mean, you realize you do have to cut down trees. You do have to have clear cuts. You do have to have you know, scheduled burns, you do all the things that, that, that open up some areas which actually help the trees develop into better trees mm -hmm. for the future. And, and, and more than anything in my mind is, is just better habitat for the animals to live in. So I think that that's changed over the years. And, and like I said, I mean, some of it's just, you know, hardcore people that sit down and want to read books about it. But a lot of people that don't even know about, I mean, we got a 20, 21 year old kid Tanner that hunts with us that, you know, he doesn't own property. He doesn't know anything about it, but he watches hunting shows right. on television. And when he watches those shows and they're talking about, you know, being stewards of the land, taking care of the habitat, making it better than what it is now. I think that that kind of gets him, you know, imprinted into their brains and, and makes him want to do that stuff. I mean, he enjoys that just as much as he does hunting. And that's something I don't think that, you know, years ago was, was how it was. I think that's 
you know, thanks to the to the the media push of that. Yeah, and I mean, for you, I I got to imagine it's a pretty cool feeling to know what you're doing to your family property that your grandfather first started up, you know, buying the property and everything. But you know, the things you're doing to you know to help the property make it better and to you know keep it in the family where a lot of folks don't do that these days they they get stuff handed down to they, they you know acquire this family farm well they don't care about working the yeah, band they, they they sell it off and yep well, sell it to a developer <laughs> and that's pretty cool I, you know my dad had a bunch of land and everything and unfortunately i don't get the um, opportunity or the enjoyment of you know working the property and helping you know improve things on the property but uh, i enjoy going doing this with you like i said i know you feel well, and that's what's cool is you. Inside, what's cool about it, you know, is you. Yeah, and I know just from being with you and around you, I mean, you you appreciate it primarily because your dad did that. I right. mean, you, you got to experience your dad's love for the land and wanting to, you know, make it better and, and build habitat and all that. So you got a, you got a taste of that with him, which is pretty awesome. So, I, I mean, I think that that obviously set, set in for you that, yeah. that this, yeah, this is this is important. And the hard part for me is I live, awesome. I live close enough to the property my dad had that it, it just bothers me to not be able to go and do stuff and you know I see a lot of stuff I, I do see it I just don't get to experience yeah it. no I, I I can totally appreciate and, uh, that and, and 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 feel you and, and that's you know like I said I mean I think it's it, it's important for all of us as outdoorsmen to to keep that as a a priority and what we do is is trying to make the property better and, and in that I mean there's that that's that's a never-ending you know, list of things. I mean, we can talk for hours just on all the different things. I mean, you know, we, we, the first thing, if, if you talk about somebody and their hunting property, food plots, that's, uh, you know, probably number one subject that would come up is, right. you know, people think when they, when they, when they mention managing land, the first thing that would come to their, their mind would be food, food plots. plots. Yeah. And we, you know, we know the importance of that. And in fortunately our property is in a semi agricultural area. So we have, the the natural food plots that the farmers are planting so we have alfalfa and we have corn and we have soybeans but then we also go in there and we'll do food plots you know we'll plant you know 10 acres of of clover or winter wheat in the winter time and then that'll turn into to fawn cover in the spring for them to have their fawns in um so even in an area that has agriculture you still do food plots and then obviously the importance to the guys who manage property where it's all nothing but woods you know, they go in there and they need to do clear cuts and they mm -hmm. need to make food plots because there is no open right. areas or they turn pipelines into food plots or they turn old logging areas into food plots. And, you know, that's uh, one of our things in, in northeastern Pennsylvania that just in, in the last 10 years or so have has come about is a lot of pipelines have been put in with the natural gas exploration up there. And you talk about the premier food plot space. I mean, these pipelines came into some areas where the, the wood had never been harvested. It was nothing but forest. And now they have a, a pipeline right. running through it. Well, all that is clover or winter wheat or, alfalfa. I mean, they're all planting food plots on those pipelines. In fact, even a lot of the pipeline companies uh, as landowners, you could dictate what you wanted planted on them. And all of ours got planted in, in, in clover. So, I mean, that's, it's pretty cool that, that's happening in that area and, and building natural food plots that probably a lot of landowners might not spend the money to have right. somebody come in there and bulldoze and, and make fields on their property because it is expensive. It it's is. time consuming, it's expensive, and it's it's a, it's a never ending expense because you know you're always putting fertilizer and 
you know, having to mow it and the cost of fuel and all the, the time that goes into taking care of it, but just to get rid of having to pay somebody to come in there and clear land for you to build some food plots, uh, that's kind of answered that question for a lot of people. So I've seen a lot of people take good advantage of that, and I'm sure it, it, that's not just a, a northeastern Pennsylvania thing. It happens countrywide. I think it's just a matter of I'm seeing it firsthand because it's happening where we're at right now. So uh, people take advantage of that. And then, like I said, I mean, the whole thing, like with my grandfather, <clears throat> he, you, you, it was taboo to cut any tree down. And now people realize you need to go in there, cut some trees down, make a clear cut. You know, uh, you know, I, I think you probably have done it just around your house. I mean, yeah. you have areas now that are thick cover because you went in there and cut stuff down. Exactly. And, you know, it, it, it provides, like I said, bedding for the deer. And, and, you know, we, we clear some lanes for, you know, my daughter so she could be able to go out there. And I got video cameras up and sitting there videoing everything and she's got a little uh, game camera up so she's always in there on the computer looking to see what's came by or and sometimes we get a dog and sometimes we get a person and <laughs> yeah. a lot of times we get deer and so it's pretty exciting to see it on her face and you know just know what all she's put into you know creating the area that she's created to be able to see what she's getting to come to it yeah yeah you mentioned game cameras and that's something that you think of managing property, that doesn't come to mind. But no, even but just running cameras is, is a huge way is. to manage because you get to see what's out there. You get to know, hey, you know, there's a big 10-point run in these woods. I'm not going to – I'm going to pass up on those eight points or, you know, whatever because I know he's here. So that's changed the way a lot of things have happened also. And, uh, you know, you, I think that I have a lot of trail cameras out, and we have them on our property in Pennsylvania and, and, and also on the property that I manage for, for with Dale and Martin, myself in Ohio – and as well as here in North Carolina. And once you have a camera out in a spot for a while, it kind of becomes old school. You're right. like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go look at the same deer again. But it's almost, I, I liken it to, you know, Christmas morning. When you go put a camera out at the first time in a new location, you know, whether it be on a food plot or, you know, here in North Carolina, we're fortunate because we can, we can feed the feed, deer. Yeah. And whether it's on a feeder or on a food plot or a trail or wherever it is, that first time you put a camera out and, you know, it's been there for a week or two or whatever you feel it needs to be there to get a uh, a good amount of pictures and you go and you pull that camera card out the first time and it's like you're so excited to see what's there yes. and you never know what you're going to see i mean that's the cool thing about it i mean a lot of people don't realize what their land holds until they do some sort of a camera survey to figure out what's out there with the trail cameras and you know you might think oh all we got's a couple little four points and a six point because that happens to be what you see out grazing in the field you know at five o'clock mm -hmm. in the evening well what you don't know is that at eight o'clock you know after it's good and dark and he's safe you know, that big 10 or 12 points walking out there in yep. that field. And, you know, it's like, wow, look at that. And it can go the other way, of course. You also can put cameras out <laughs> and not get pictures of those big guys. And you think, what's going on here? And that's when you just tell yourself, well, I know he's there. He's just smarter he's than that smarter. camera. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to, we like to <laughs> tell ourselves that and the reality of that. I don't know how true that is, but uh, it's uh, it's a, that's a pretty cool part of land management also. And in that part, and, you know, so I know what we do in, in where, where I grew up. I mean, like I said, it's food plots, trees, uh, one thing I've never been uh, around, but I know a lot of people though, and maybe your experience with hunting in South Carolina and things like that is the prescribed burns that they do, where they go and burn the underbrush. Right. Have you ever been involved or known anybody? No, that's done I know that? I know some. Uh, well, it's a good friend of mine. He has a place in uh, South Carolina, and they've done control burns, you know, just to clear it all out and get some new growth coming up. And uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool to see it happen and and you know see what. It, creates yeah afterwards. It, you know i've 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 experienced that a little bit but never firsthand and, and i've hunted in kansas on a ranch where they did burns every year and 
you know, I guess it's just, it's just something that, you know, those of us that aren't used to it, you, when you think about a, a forest fire, you think, oh my gosh, that's devastating. Yeah. And these guys are either lighting, lighting forest fires and they're controlling them with, you know, whether, you know, big operations, they'll have bulldozers where they make paths around it. I actually know some friends of mine in Illinois that have CRP, they burn off every year and they just have a, a 20 foot buffer of clover planted around the CRP mm-hmm. to, uh, to keep the forest fire from spreading when they start it. And, you know, you talk about the prime the prime location. I mean, now you have CRP, which is farm ground that the government is paying them not to farm. And in turn, they have to plant something that's a good ground cover. So you have good cover for the turkeys to lay their eggs and nest in and deer to have their fawns in. And, and now you plant a 20 foot buffer of clover all the way around that. I mean, you can't, that's, that's the that's best of both worlds there. right there. So, you know, that the, the government programs to help the farmers and offset some of the costs and, and, and help those guys in the same tokens really, putting back into the to the wildlife as well with that with situations like that yeah i know around around here we have this red clay here in north carolina and pennsylvania y'all got pretty rich dirt up there i mean it's pretty we do to an extent you know i think that when i first came i mean it's the biggest hit to me because of this red clay yeah i know we look at this red clay and i think how in the world (laughs) can anybody get into growing that and then i go drive by a field that's full of of soybeans or or wheat or whatever it may be I've never been impressed with the corn in North Carolina. So I will say the cornfields yes, never look like this like imaginary awesome cornfield. But man, you talk about some beautiful soybeans and stuff like that and how they get it to grow in this red clay. Because yeah. I, I, I remember when I came down here, I thought there's, I don't know where you'd even start to plant a food <laughs> plot in this. Now we have good soil where we're at in Pennsylvania. Um, we have a lot of shale in our, in our area mm-hmm. where our property is, so we have to deal with that. We don't have deep soil. But, yeah, there is a lot of good flat farm yeah. ground uh, around us, just not necessarily where we're at. I know around but here we, we do uh, a lot of soil samples just, just to see what we need to put back into the soil to be able to get stuff to grow, whether it's the lime or the fertilizer or whatever. I mean, the same way with our horse pastures. I'm getting ready to fertilize this weekend um, for our horses to get our grass to grow back <laughs> up, you know, get lush and nice. And I actually get them should be doing it like in august maybe but i need some grass right now yeah they beat it all yeah. down I'm, I'm actually reseed well then that's fertilized you know you 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 know a lot about the horses obviously with your you know your situation and, and with kayla and your family having horses and being really involved in rodeo and, and i've never been involved in in horses and i was always amazed that you know to me the perfect pasture would be like all clover. I'm thinking, no. oh, how perfect is that? And then <laughs> I know with the horses, you're like, you're, you're like, oh, that, that's got way too much clover, and it's gonna, that's gonna hurt yeah. the horses. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? I thought clover was good for animals. So no. yeah, that's a they whole, love it. That's they a love whole, clover. Trust me. But is we, not good I for mean, them we too got much of it. No, if they get too much, it, it can. I mean, we got one horse. He, they call it cushions, which is founders. That's where his sugar gets so high. And, uh, and that's just from having too much clover just, in the pasture. Yeah, or, or his hay being too rich. You know, like you. we we buy good hay i mean it's like some of the best hay you get and we had to soak all the good out of it to feed him <laughs> like, well, yeah how what? backwards is this yeah, yeah it yeah, is because he won't eat anything other than that yeah so yeah as a food plot mentality guy yeah. like i said when you would measure if i didn't know better from knowing just you know from hearing you talk about it or or others with horses you think to yourself well you'd want that to be you know just filled with clover yep. and stuff like that and there's a nope nope you really need some grass and <laughs> i said yeah, wow it's, it's different it's, i mean it's just like you know growing 
food plot stuff wildlife and yeah certain things you, you plant for the deer and certain things for the turkeys you know yeah and we're we're in the same boat in in pennsylvania up there as as we are here in north carolina as far as our, our pretty much you can count on if you're going to start a new food plot the first thing you're going to have to do is is over lime it because it, you definitely have to get the alkaline down mm-hmm. on it with a, a lot of lime uh, to get rid of some of the acidic soil that we have here and as well as that we have in pennsylvania i think the people maybe out in the midwest are a little bit more uh, uh lucky with Luckier. our soil they don't yeah. have to deal with that but that's uh the soil sample you mentioned is a super thing and that's you know a lot of people uh don't know to take advantage of that but i mean you pretty much you can stop by a, a southern so states, states or a tractor it, supply yeah. and you get a a little bag and they tell you go out there and dig a few inches of dirt out of the ground and, and send it to them and they'll tell you exactly what you need to add for for lime and to get your the the acid right in the soil and as well as different fertilizers and you know if the first you do that you think oh i'm not going to mess with that and then then you plant a couple things and you waste all your you know it's i don't know if it's a matter of the money you spend on seed and fuel and all that or the time you spend putting into it but you'll get frustrated and then all of a sudden the reality comes that okay well this year i'm going to do it right and i'm going to get a soil sample and i'm going to you know put down the amount of lime they tell me to and put the fertilizer they tell me to down and next thing you know you'll have a a beautiful food plotter in your case with the horses a beautiful pasture that's you know feeding the animals and you know that's something that's all uh you know a lot of people don't understand right. that it's it's that's you know well, a, a soil sample well, what's that it's really that simple it's just a matter of just you know get online research where locally you can get a soil sample done or some places you just mail it into them and it'll box this yeah. little bit of dirt and they'll tell you what you need to make it grow and i think you know it, it takes about a week to get the results back on that um so i think a lot of the cases is, is people just up and decide, you know, I'm going to go do it right now. And well, you ain't got that week to wait. So that's yeah. why they bypass that a lot of times. I did it whenever I, whenever I first joined Oh, you know, absolutely. Horses, I so. think we're all guilty yeah, of it. I mean, until, still to this so, day, I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll, I'll plant a new food plot. And just because I know what I do know at this point, I'll say, well, I'm just going to put a whole bunch of lime down and, and whatever fertilizer they tell me and at least get a start on it. Right. And you think, you know, next year I'll get that soil sample and I'll do it right. And, of course, <laughs> next year it gets here and you think, oh, I forgot to so get that it. soil sample. But, yeah. you know, absolutely, if you if you, if you you want to really do it and plant food plots or, or any of that and you want to do it right, you need to really talk to somebody that yeah. knows and understands. And any of your any of your local feed supply stores, they'll, they'll talk you through and tell you what you need to do to get, you know, feed and seed supply stores to – to, to buy the things you need and put that right down. And, and that little bit of extra money to do it right the first time will definitely pay because otherwise you you go out there and you see a lot of people plant a food plot and it won't develop into anything but weeds and they'll mow it and they may give it one more shot and it doesn't come up and then they just give up on it and then there's just a clearing in the woods where the guy, used, me. Where I, the guy used to have a food plot. <laughs> I did so, that last year at the horse pasture and then I bypassed the soil sample and I just threw the stuff out and it's fescue and tried to get it to grow. It, it grew, but nothing like I needed yeah. it to, and it's not there anymore. It's a, it's a, it's so. a, I think our wife's will tell yeah. us if you just would follow the instructions, exactly. you'd be all exactly. better off. So, yep, that's part of part of uh, land management. So also. I did. I, I went to Southern States this week and uh, talked to the guys there, and they're going to come out Saturday and help me out with this project. So maybe I'll get some ga- grass for my goats and awesome. the horses. That's so. awesome. All right, well, as a hunter, what do you do for yourself for preparation? I know, like. I go through all my clothes. I wash everything, and you know, get all the decent stuff. And, you know, well, I know you. You, you can't. You can't fairly ask me that question, Carrie. I mean, as our listeners if, don't if don't, we, don't if, understand I, the hey, look, uh, importance talked, of that look, question. I talked to my niece <laughs> Kelly. I mean, uh, Carson and uh, uh, Kennedy, and they they talk about how you come in. God, it stinks in here. You cooking with onions, man. Get that out of here. It's going to ruin my clothes, man. God. <laughs> yeah, I'm. 
a little bit, a little over, bit. overboard on a lot. some things, and and I've gotten better at that. But I I, uh, I stand proud to say that we bought a one of the things that's huge importance to me as a, as a bow hunter is scent, and not having any human scent on me when I hunt. And I think any of you guys that have ever waited till the week before hunting season and went down to the local store, sporting goods store, and bought a, uh, some scent-free uh, laundry detergent and taken your clothes and put them in the wash machine and washed them and dried them and then put them in plastic bags to seal them up tight so there gets no scent on them. And you open the bag up and you have a wonderful flower fragrance <laughs> from, from uh, what is that, fabric, <laughs> fabric snuggle, softener fabric softener or, or some sort of a yeah. crazy fabric softener, softener that everybody uses. But that, um, in all reality, I... I it's kind of a joke around our house, but it is reality that we went and we bought a new washer and dryer probably about four years ago, and we bought a wash machine that, that uses hotter water than any other machine to burn off anything that would be growing in the water to kill anything that would make a unnatural scent, as well as have not used any scented soap, laundry detergent, or fabric softener in our washer or dryer in the past four years. And, you know, you laugh about that. And you think you're just overboard, but really it's really simple. And, and honestly, we try to, to eat clean and live clean and is, is all natural as we can. And so it's kind of falls into favor for me because it's real easy for me to say, Hey, if you buy the, the tide free, it doesn't have any scent in it. <laughs> or if we use, you know, any, a lot of the different, uh, scent free laundry detergents and soaps and, and fabric softeners, just not, we just don't use fabric softener. It just doesn't cut it. Um, but it, that's all, funny. that's all in, in preparation. So when I do go to put my hunting clothes in the wash machine and wash them, that they don't come out smelling like, like, uh, what is that one? That's so popular of a fabric softener. Tanner smells like that every I year. I don't he, know. I can't I like, yes. No, it's not. It's not. I can't, I'll think of it. Downy. Downy. Yeah. Downy. Tanner, Tanner that hunts with us, the, the young fellow that hunts with us and he hunts a couple different States with me every year. And he, every year will wash his clothes at home at his mom's house. And every year. He'll put his clothes on, and I can look at him from across the room and say, what in the world are you doing? Because <laughs> he smells like downy fabric softener. He's like, oh, man, I don't smell it. I was like, I smell it. So, so do you smell my – my family uses the snuggles. I mean, well, they, I, and they're on their regular clothes, and then I'll wash my hunting clothes and dry them in the same carry, wash and dryer. Carry, carry, And you never say anything about mine. Listen, here's where I'm going to go with you. Yeah. About four years ago, you and I went turkey hunting together. I know. Where Nobody cares about scent-free for turkey hunting, right? Because who cares? A turkey can't smell you, and they're right. But I think I remember sitting under a tree, and there was a gobbler roosted about 50 yards from us, gobbling on the roost. Yeah. And about that time, and well, let me back up. I remember no. you getting in the truck yes. and me saying, do you have freaking cologne on, Carrie? <laughs> well, yeah. And we sat there. You said, we're hunting turkeys. They don't smell you. And as we sat under that tree with that turkey gobbling in the tree about 50 yards away, we had about three does stand there stomping their foot and blowing at us for about five minutes straight till they finally ran off. And that turkey said, something ain't right here. So he looked around, looked around, decided to come off roost and fly a long, long ways from us. So, yes, don't talk to me about the importance of scent free. Um but, yeah, so I'm a little bit of a fan. That was a one-time deal. Yeah, I, I'll always be able to use that story, though, because what, what a great story about being sent free and thinking it doesn't matter in spring because <laughs> you're spring turkey hunting, right? Yeah, it still matters. It still matters. Um, the, uh, the thing, I also, I do a lot of things for scent. I also, um, I don't wear deodorant. Uh, another, you know, trying to live all right. natural. I take 10 alfalfa tablets every day. Uh, years ago, I hunted out in um, 
Nebraska with a doctor, uh, Doc White, and he was a friend of uh, Tony Marciello, who was a mentor in hunting of me as well as a crew chief back in the day in the Modifieds. And Tony Marciello and Doc White and I would go to Nebraska and hunt. And prior to that hunt, we would go to Nebraska. We would hunt for nine days out of a trailer up in the middle of nowhere that had no water um, or electricity. So no showers, just wiping with uh, scent-free wipes, scent-free, you know, water, just wiping down. So mm-hmm. prior to that trip, about 30 days ahead of that trip, Doc White would prescribe, and I'm sure this is illegal, and, and, but <laughs> I'm going to go back 20, 20 years ago. So, I, you know, we can't go back and get Doc White, plus he's passed, and so is Tony. So go get him if you want, Fed. <laughs> uh, but Doc White would give us prescriptions for, uh, back then they had uh, uh, tablets that they would use in colostopy bags to, to keep the scent down for so people with a colostopy bag wouldn't have a, a, a foul order to them. And it was um, a... Uh, what is the name of it? I know as well as my own. It's it's the reason I take the alfalfa tablets every day. But it has um chlor. It was a it was a chlorophyll tablet, and that chlorophyll tablet back then, which you had to do through prescription. He prescribed Tony and I prescriptions so we could go to our local drugstores where we lived and start taking chlorophyll tablets about 30 days before we went to um, Nebraska that year. And we would hunt nine days and we would stay scent free for nine days because we were pumped right full of chlorophyll. So in, in with my research, they, over the years, they came out with something called chloroflage, chloroflage, which was a tablet you could take that was made by somebody in the hunting industry that was a, a similar type of thing you could buy over the counter. And then it kind of morphed into me learning about alfalfa and the importance of alfalfa in our diets. And it's a natural antihistamine, so it keeps your, your allergies down and stuff like that. But also it's like 90% chlorophyll. So I take 10 alfalfa pa- tablets every day. And I'm sure that in the heat of the summer when we're out planning a food plot, you might tell me that I need to wear some deodorant. But other than the days when it's uh, a, a chore like that, day. I typically will not have not have any body odor. I don't wear deodorant ever um, just because I take those 10 chlorophyll tablets every year. So I'm definitely, or alfalfa tablets every day. So I'm definitely overboard. I would never expect anybody else to do that, but it's, it's just kind of the funny stuff. I mean, Kelly and the kids will joke about the, the no no perfume, no fabric softener, the rules we have in the house that people think is just crazy. But I'm not I'm not really that bad and honestly it's more of a fun thing for us now than it is really that big of a deal. But it's it's definitely something that's means you know, whether it really matters or not, I don't know. I've had a lot of success hunting. I've killed a lot of great deer. Um, I can't say it's because of that, but it's just one of those things that you do. Mentally it is. Yeah, mentally that's what I do. I mean it's important to me to be sent free, so that's what I do. Yeah, well, Everybody has their own. I don't do all that. I just, yeah. like I said, I wash my clothes and put them into no-scent bags, and I'm ready <laughs> to go. All right, so I know in preparation for any season, we always get our guns out, and we shoot our bows and stuff like that. Do you do that like a month before <laughs> the season? or I mean, I do it like a couple of days the before. The day of? <laughs> or the day of. No, I'm as when I was younger and less busy in life, I was really good at being prepared. Uh, being prepared is one of my things, my mottos of my life. Uh, as I've gotten older and have kids and a family and all the the everyday things of jobs and all the other things in life, I'm not as prepared as I used to be. So, I mean, typically I used to shoot my guns in the summertime to have them ready for the fall. I shot my bow all year long to be ready in the fall. Um, the gun thing is kind of you know, slipped away a little bit. Now, typically I'll probably shoot my gun the week or so before season. I'll sight it in. And if I'm getting a new gun or something like that, sure. You're going to want to go out and shoot it when you get it. But for the most part, I take a a time period a week or so ahead of whenever, you know, gun season, gun hunting would start and I'll go shoot my guns, uh, turkey guns. You know, you want to try to pattern those. So you turkey season's a little easier because 
you're you're in a you're late winter leading into spring so you're like eager to do something the to want to go to get ready for sun hunting so i don't know how it works with you but for me it's like that time of year it's like you're eager to do anything that would include having something to do with hunting so you want to go out and shoot you'll shoot your turkey gun and then you'll all of a sudden realize the reality is oh i'm six weeks ahead of season so you know it's not quite the same and, and i've hunted with you a bunch but i know how you uh you prepare well, you know. my, my mind is if you do it the day of or the day before then it's i mean it's on well, the, it's accurate. I know that yeah, absolutely. And if you I know, do it a I, I, week I can, or so before, something could be knocked off or <laughs> something well, let during me, that time. Let me let me ask you, Carrie. You know that leads me into a cool story that you've told me years ago. But you know, I know over the years I've heard it a couple times. But I remember you telling me for the first time that uh, your first uh, deer hunting experience with your dad. Why don't you tell us about that story? Because that was that's an awesome story of of. You know, we think about your dad, and, I mean, he was the ultimate at anything. I mean, so, I mean, if he did it, then that was probably the right way to do it. So tell us about how he sighted in or not sighted in your first gun that you went hunting with. Well, you know, my dad, I never really got to do a lot of hunting with him because he's on the road all the time, blah, blah, blah. Well, I was going on a deer hunt with a buddy of mine, but with my father-in-law. And so we're getting everything loaded up, ready to go, and my dad comes in. This is when me and Junior lived in a trailer across the street. And dad come in, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to go deer hunting in South Carolina. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. And this was early morning, you know. We're going to get down there and hunt that evening. So he's like, no, you can't do that. So you got to go by the gun shop over in China Grove there and pick up a gun there. I'm like, for what? I said, yeah, I got a gun. He said, nope, you need to go there. I said, all right. I took off over there. They're closed. (laughs) They don't open to 1 o'clock. So we sit there and waited and waited and waited, and finally they show up. I mean, I went to a couple houses around trying to find the people that, if anybody owned the shop was right there beside it, but they weren't. So they got, I got there, I got my gun, done all my paperwork, and I took off to South Carolina, met this guy at the property we were hunting. I got out, opened the box, took the gun out, put it together, went and shot. I shot a nice, nice, nice eight point for my first shot like that. So, so the whole story. But of, you know, in there. Gun but in. wait a minute. In there, in the box, they had a target where they had shot it, and it was pretty tight group. So I was pretty confident in that. Well, I think that's an awesome story, and that's you know. But I would have loved to have shot it before that. I know, and that's cool, and that's you know, just knowing knowing the stories. Of course, I never got to be around your dad, but just knowing the stories of how that worked, I think that but when, it he, was, I mean, when he told you that you're not going hunting, you're going to get that gun, and yeah. of course, I'm sure you were just inside thinking. This is bullshit. I, I want to go hunting. I was <laughs> and, uh, bowling inside because uh, I was ready to go. Yeah, and, but you listen to him, and then you go and yep. you get a gun that you'd never shot before, and you go out and you <laughs> kill a deer with the first shot. So I think that's, uh, I think you've actually had that gun, brought that gun hunting to Pennsylvania with us before, right? But that goes to show you, I didn't sight in. Yeah, it still I worked. Know. I know, and that's what I say. So I mean, I think it's, I would never obviously recommend anybody to go hunting without shooting their gun first <laughs> and knowing it's sighted in, and nor I don't think you would either. No, and, I wouldn't. And, and nor would your dad. It, so you know, it's just a situation that, at a time it happened. It happened and, and it worked out. Awesome. So it's a, cool. that's a cool story. You it know, is that's cool. A, that's a neat story to think about how, you know, you don't necessarily always have to do what you're supposed to do and it works for you. But I think that had you done that, if, if your dad had not told you to do it that way and you had just took it upon yourself to go get a gun at the gun shop and go shoot, you'd be telling us a story about how you shot the back leg off of a exactly. deer or something like that. So I think and, and, that he, and, and, he had and, the special power that, prime that, example that we don't this. have. Yeah, we, I sighted my, like, this gun that dad gave me, I, I sighted it in and everything was good went to elkin with you on a piece of property you had up there and i don't know what happened or how it happened but 
we're sitting there, and my daughter's with me, and I think Candy was with you Candy or Carson. Candy, I think. I think it was Candy. Yep. And you're in one field, and I'm in another, and I I shoot, and this doe falls. We're shooting does, and this doe falls in the field, and she's sitting there still moving, but laying down, just can't get up, moving around. And I'm like, what in the world? Because I know I'm right on. I mean, I'm right on the shoulder, and perfect shot. And then I don't know what happened. She's down there laying. We get down and walk down there, and I had shot her way, way back, like in the hip. Yeah, with a gun that you knew was with sighted perfect. With a gun I knew was sighted yeah, perfect. So anything can happen, and that's what, you know, that's part of it, and, and, and that's, you know, people that have experienced hunting or even people that haven't. I mean, you know, I feel bad for people that go hunting and have something happen where they shoot a deer and they don't find it or they, they you know, it, it, when you miss a deer, it's bad. Of course, when you cripple a deer, it's that, it's that much worse. And, yes, it is. You know, I, I, I hate that for people because, unfortunately, that's part of, of, of life, life, period. That's going to happen. We all hate that part of it, and we want to do everything we can to prevent that part of it. But you're still going to have mistakes. Um, I mean, things happen that we did that's out of our control. So and, and that's with, part of it with, for sure. With that and this, you know, the internals of my scope had messed up, and that's what happened. I don't know if on the travel to the property or what, but I know, you know, a day or so before it was fine, and yep. I don't know how it happened, but it did. So well, that's and that, like I said. I mean, that's 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 part of the preparation thing. So anything anything we can do ourselves before we go hunting to prepare ourselves to be better um, more efficient at you know the actual task of hunting we, we need to do and that of course is shoot our guns and prepare our in my case prepare my hunting clothing and my scent <laughs> and you know anything that you know will help you be successful and have the best chance at, at, at being successful when you go I mean everybody has their own ideas and what's what's important but I my, my thing to anybody would just do whatever you feel is going right. to give you the best chance yeah, and you, whatever that is that's what you need to do. If you think obviously, it's the right thing to do, do it. Yeah, I obviously mean. sighting your gun is <laughs> one of them. Um, you know, when you talk about doe, and I know we're coming to the tail end of the show, but I mean, talking about just the land the land management part we started right. uh, the show off with. But I mean, you, you talk about doe, and we talk about doe hunting, and, and I know you'll have people that'll turn your nose, oh, I wouldn't shoot a doe, I only shoot bucks. And I think that that's another thing that the importance that people don't understand of of maintaining a healthy herd is harvesting doe. And when you have, you know... 90% of the hunters out there just trying to shoot, and I, and I don't know those numbers, I'm just throwing yeah, those numbers just out number. there, uh, you know, trying to harvest a buck, you know, they don't shoot doe, they just want to shoot a buck, and, you know, a lot of those doe get passed on, and that's one thing we've learned through through really managing for trophy properties or just healthy properties, uh, the doe harvest is, is hugely important, and, and, you know, years ago, it just happened naturally because people wanted to fill their freezers with right, food. You know, right. they needed deer meat yep. to, to feed their family. So when a big old doe walked down the field, they were excited because that was going to feed their feed. family. And and those, you know, it doesn't work like that in most parts of the countries anymore. And and I think that the people, a lot of people need to understand the importance of that. I mean, hey, that's some great food we can go home and feed our families mm-hmm. with. Forget about just filling the freezer. Right. Talk about some tasty, healthy, the most healthy you know steak you can eat would right. be a deer steak i mean you talk about some lean meat that's that's all natural you know it's 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 as good as it gets so you know i hope that the one thing i'd like to see to change in the hunting world is more hunters to come to 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 light with that fact that they need to harvest dough you know wonderful way to give yourself some great food and more importantly than anything is that's really going to be what gives us a healthy deer herd i mean i've i've first hand experienced pennsylvania to where you would 
you could hunt our property and you could sit there the first day of gun season when the deer are being pushed around, you know, 25 years ago, and you would see one or two bucks out of, honestly, a hundred, you might see 150 deer the first day of deer season Wow! and see two bucks all doe. And finally, they realize the importance of harvesting doe, letting those bucks go, letting them grow so they can get big. Um, you know, of course, now trophy managing is a whole other thing because now you're passing up nice eight right. bucks and deer that anybody would be proud of. So it's a little different thing. But just for healthy, good, solid land management, I mean, harvesting those adult doe, uh, you know, passing on the year and a half old little four points and six points and things like that, you know, let them grow, let them get to, to be at least two and a half, if not three and a half years old on the bucks is it, just good for the all around quality of the property. And, and I think that that doe harvest, I mean, so many people don't understand the value of that, but anything you're doing to manage your property, that's hugely important. It is. And then, you know, you're talking about that. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing on my cameras, I'll see 20, 30 does. And this is just a little small area. It ain't like a, big draw for them or anything and you see two or three bucks and their little spikes or four points you know it's just young bucks coming through and i know a lot of people around here don't shoot does just because they are looking for the bucks and the trophy hunters and all but the doe population versus buck population is huge huge difference yep like i said that's uh, that's for sure if people you know a lot of people need to really just come to terms with that and i know a lot of guys that honestly are really good land managers and really are trying to do what's right to grow to grow big deer, and they don't even get it. They they, they don't get it. They still think that they need to pass every yep. doe. They want more doe than anybody else has on their property, and that it's just not healthy for the herd to be offset like that. So, you know, I think that anybody that's really looking into the land management piece of it needs to study that very yeah, deeply to understand to look into that, that part of it. Study yeah, it. Um, for sure. And I know it's good eating, like you said. That's all we eat. Yep, absolutely. I Medicine. think that it's, like I said, it's the ultimate. And, and I don't think we're in the point where we have to do it to feed our families, but we know how great it is for our families. I right. Mean, it's, it's not it's, only good for them, it's good tasting. So It is. It's uh, awesome. Yep. Well, Dub, I guess that's the end of our show. And uh, I just want to thank everyone out there for listening to Earnhardt Outdoors and want again, thank Zalta for all they do for Dirty Mo Radio. So be sure to go and follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Zalta Racing. Absolutely. We also want to thank everybody for listening to Earnhardt Outdoors. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about or questions you have for us, uh, feel free to jump on the Twitter or Facebook at Earnhardt Outdoors and uh, give us a shout and we'll try to address any questions or comments or if you want to throw some stones at us, we'll at least try to reflect them. Yes, uh, we can do that. Let let, let us have it. We want to hear from you guys. I appreciate all of you. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. If you love Dale Jr., then Exalta Racing is your go-to social media account on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It brings you insider's info all weekend long on the 88 team. It's at Exalta Racing, a must-follow for any Dale Jr. fan.